Kotlin Dog Kotlin Hyperdon's biggest nightmare is here. But uh hasn't started yet. Jimmu I've been looking for a product like this my whole life. We were all putting it on, looking in the mirror, and we're like, oh my God, this is. It's a three year anniversary of January 6th, and that historic day where we had a former president literally try to steal an election and upend our democracy. I think it's just important to take stock of where we are with these prosecutions. The New York Times did an excellent three-year anniversary overview, so I'm just going to summarize some of what the article talked about, because I do think it's really important to never forget about it, and also just think about what we've done and what the Department of Justice has done, which is absolutely incredible amount of work. It's the largest case in the history of the Department of Justice. And let me put this in context, okay? Mass arrest cases, and I've, I've supervised many of them. Whenever you have these mass protests of people who are, are not peacefully protesting, but they either get violent or they, they become um, destructive, those mass arrest cases are very hard to do because you can't just round up a group of people and just say, oh, they were there. And so therefore they must have uh, they must have done it. You have to pinpoint in each and every case and every single defendant what that person did, where they were and exactly what their conduct was and how it violated the law. And you have to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. And like I said, we have handled thousands of these cases at the Manhattan DA's office when I was a prosecutor. We even had a mass arrest unit because there were so many of these mass arrests that the NYPD was dealing with. They are not easy. And by any count, the, the sweeping Jan 6 case that the Department of Justice has done is just one of the bigger mass arrest cases that I've ever seen, especially because there's a lot of felonies. They're not just this low-level misdemeanor, like trespass cases. These are serious felony cases. And so to prove that and to get some of the large sentences that the Department of Justice has gotten, they really have to be specific and prove each and every element of each and every crime against each and every person and know everything about that person's day and what they did exactly. So not easy to do. So it's the largest case in the history of the Department of Justice. 1,240 people have been arrested and accused of crimes ranging from trespass, which is a misdemeanor, to seditious conspiracy, which are felonies. And what they're saying is this could only be half the total of num number of, of cases that they ultimately bring. That means there's over a thousand cases out there that they might still bring. And why have they not brought them yet? Again, they have to identify the person and they have to be able to prove each and every case and what that person did. So there's still 350 cases pending, meaning they haven't been resolved yet. 170 trials. That's a huge number of trials for the Department of Justice to do in this period, right? It's just one office. It's the, it's the Washington, D.C. Department of Justice. I give them a lot of credit for this. 170 trials. That's a lot. That, and that doesn't even count the other trials that they have going on, right? So 
It's a lot of trials. Only two full acquittals. 710 have pled guilty. Uh, 210 of those 710 to felonies. That's a lot of felonies. More than 720 have been sentenced, and of these, more than 450 have been sentenced to incarceration, up to more than 20 years. The Proud Boys and Oath Keepers, uh, normal, everyday people were prosecuted. Uh, some defendants planned their roles in this assault for weeks and weeks and showed up with armor and gear, et cetera, at plans. And others just kind of decided to, to just go and see what happened and got caught up in, in, in the events of the day. The most common charge was entering or remaining in a restricted federal building on the grounds. Uh, so more than 1,100 of the 450, um, more than one, I'm sorry, more than 1,100 people were charged with that. 450 people were charged with assaulting or impeding law enforcement at the Capitol, and 330 were accused of obstructing the certification of the election. Now, that's important because that's the charge that the Supreme Court is currently reviewing uh, on whether or not the charge that they used, the obstruction of an official proceeding, whether that charge applied to the events of January 6th and um, trying to stop Mike Pence from certifying the election. Now, one federal judge, Carl Nickel, ruled that it didn't. About 14 other federal judges said that it did. And the DC Circuit reversed Carl Nickel and said that it also does. And so we'll see now what the uh, Supreme Court says. This could not only impact all of those convictions, it could also impact two of Jack Smith's counts because two of the four counts in the Tanya Chutkin Washington DC case um, are, are obstruction of an official proceeding. Um, and I just think that's a, an absolute uh, huge number of cases that the Department of Justice has been able to put together. I think it's largely through video, the help of video, because so much of that was captured on video. Without that, I don't think they would have been able to pinpoint who did what exactly, because in the mayhem, even eyewitnesses, the Capitol Police, et cetera, it was so chaotic and so difficult, they're not going to be able to remember exactly who did what, right? It's very different than a crime uh, that occurs one-on-one -on -one with somebody. So I don't want to underestimate or undercount um, the grab there's just the mass undertaking that the Department of Justice has done on these cases. And don't forget Donald Trump, if he's elected president, he calls these criminals patriots and he has said he will pardon them all. He uses the Jan 6 choir that sang the national anthem in uh, or their own version of the Jan 6 anthem in prison. He uses that and plays it at his rallies. So he believes that these criminals, these people who, and look, do I believe that they're all the same and all terrible? I don't. I think some of them did get caught up in the moment. I think the two gentlemen who testified before the January 6th committee and said, look, we, we, were, we thought we were just believing Trump. He told us that the election was stolen. We believed him. We thought we were doing what he wanted us to do. I actually felt sorry for those guys. And, and I think uh, they were duped. They were duped by, by Trump and all his lies, just like so many people. But I also think there were some people who absolutely are 
just as responsible as Trump, um, where he's the most responsible, but but are equally culpable, like the Proud Boys, like the Oath Keepers, like the Enrique Terrios, and um, and you know the the other really just dangerous, serious people, and then some of his some of his unindicted co-conspirators, right? All the people who you've we've heard about who were his enablers and who absolutely are as responsible and have blood on their hands as Donald Trump, like Mark Meadows and Rudy Giuliani, uh, to just to name two. But you could say Jeffrey Clark and Ken Chesbro and and um, John Eastman are also uh, extremely culpable. There's so many people that you can go down the list of who all got in line and helped him try and stay in power, even though he lost an election, and then when and helped uh, orchestrate this nationwide campaign to pressure the states to uh, to basically give fake electors instead of the real uh, electors who who the people um, who, who the people voted for, and try to steal the election from those Americans who voted for Joe Biden, and tried to pressure Mike Pence, and this was just an orchestrated uh, orchestrated event, and now that he's going for the Supreme Court, and he's hoping that they will um, throw out this charge say that it doesn't apply to these individuals and then ultimately he wants to um, he wants to say that what they did was okay just it's important to remember the violence and how close our we came to actually losing our democracy and uh and so on this anniversary of january 6 i just think it's important to talk about it and to mention it and remember how significant it was and truly to never forget because I never realized I've taken for granted our democracy my whole life. I never realized realized how fragile it is. Um, but if there's nothing, if there's something that, that this has uh, shown us is that it is fragile and we can't take it for granted. I'm Karen Friedman Agnifla with Legal AF. Join me and my co-hosts every Wednesday and Saturday on Legal AF. Hey, Midas Mighty, love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What she don't need no Instagram. She just uses Instagram. See if they're live yet. Come on, live. Come on, man. Don't bite the cut up. Dard. She don't need no Trista Graham. Ooh la la. Um, boiled a frog, so he wouldn't destroy our checks and balances all at once. Yeah, I'm going to have to disagree with you. Uh, you know, one of the things he realizes is time as well is not on his side. And I don't mean time in terms of with all of these cases pending against him. I'm talking about life's clock. All right. But if he, God forbid, yeah. a million times wins, he'll be 80 years old when he gets into office. Yeah. 
He's not fucking around, Norm. Yeah. He's going straight for the gusto. His feeling is rip the Band-Aid off the wound and just do it all at once. And that's why he keeps saying everything that he's going to do on day number one. The funny thing is everybody wants to have an opinion about what Donald Trump is saying. I have a better idea for you. How about shut the fuck up and listen to what the guy's telling you that he's going to do. Now, you may say, but he can't do that, right? We have a constitution. We have a court system. He can do what he wants if he makes, if he does also what he said he's going to do. He's going to have loyalty pledges by everybody that works for him. And that's like 1,600 significant government positions. So if the military is on his side, don't tell me that he can't have absolute immunity if he wants to kill someone on Fifth Avenue. He most certainly can. He becomes the dictator that he legitimately wants to be, that he's telling people that he's going to be. And I don't understand why people want to be led. I mean, don't you want to live in a democracy? The whole world is fighting to become democratic. We're fighting to become socialist and communist. I don't get it. Um, yeah. He is, unfortunately, unfortunately, here, this is, this is what's going on. His followers, and you see this in the public opinion polls, and that brings me to the good news because there's good news in these polls. I have a big new New York Times piece talking about it. Uh, His followers, the bad news is that Trump has got about a third of um, the um, voting age public that wants to go in a more dictatorial way. They want a leader who will discard the checks and balances. It's really an un-American idea. It's one of the greatest threats to the United States since the time of the Civil War. It's a threat from within. Um, FDR was worried about that with the communist communist organizing in the United States. And uh, there was some legitimate worry about Stalin's effects, efforts to intrude upon America, recruit agents and whatnot. But that was only a tiny, that was only a tiny smidge of the American public ever was, a, you know, a few hundred thousands FDR thought it could grow to, he was worried that it would grow. He nipped it in the bud. It's part of the motivation for the social reforms of the New Deal to get out in front of that um, Soviet spirit. <clears throat> Trump has got 30% roughly, a a little less than a third who want to move the United States more in the direction of a dictatorship. They want a president who has more power. They're opposed to our freedoms. They're going to back him. Um, They think January, they've subscribed to a set of uh, abhorrent principles. I don't blame them. They've suffered a lot of social dislocations, and Trump is a demagogue. He's exploited that. We've known that's a danger with democracy for thousands of years since the Greek democracy, the Roman Republic, and the Federalist Papers wrote about it. And we've seen demagogues in this country before. Trump is the most successful demagogue from within the system that we've ever seen in the the history of the United States. 
one of the most, you got to go back um, to the Federalist Papers to understand our founders and framers saw this coming. And now this year is going to be a test, Michael. The year 2023 was prologue. The year 2024 is going to be the mm -hmm. test. And I think if we can get Donald Trump before a jury of his peers, that the data tells us, it just wrote about this in my Times piece, there is a mountain of data that says once he's convicted, the American people definitively turn against him. Biden's lead, there's a 14-point swing. Trump goes in some polls from being four or five up to nine down, a 14-point swing. Could you imagine that that's it? A guy gets convicted of a crime and he's still... He's still plus 35, 38 of the country, 40 of the country. I mean, that, that just really goes to show you that we're really, as a country, in very serious trouble. I mean, what would he have to do for yeah. these people to walk away? And I don't think the answer is anything. Because I'm, I think the number is even higher. For whatever the reason, these Americans want to be led around like sheep. So let me ask you this then, Norm, because Trump's lawyers are arguing. Not all, Michael. Not all. Well, the, thank God the, for Trump, that. the Trump followers. The Trump, the Trump followers. followers is who I meant, yeah. So Trump's lawyers are arguing that because the Senate did not convict him during the impeachment hearings, something that you know a lot about, that he cannot now be prosecuted for election interference. Is there any truth to that claim, or is that just more bullshit coming out of his D team, you know, set of lawyers? Um, well, as as usual, uh, Michael, you have to take um, you have to take everything his lawyers say with a grain of salt. And that, by the way, brings us brings us back to the need for. Uh, you know, the need for um, for rule of law. Of course, it's not election interference. That, that's garbage. I mean, you can't evade, you can't break the law allegedly and then say, uh, I'm running for office so you can't prosecute me. You know what? That's even worse than the uh, argument that he's absolutely immune because he, he, he that argument is a part of this picture of the imperial presidency. Trump wants the imperial candidacy. Well, he, if he didn't want to be prosecuted, he shouldn't have allegedly broken the law. And I think we could see multiple criminal trials of the former president in the year to come. We've seen four get possibly set up this year. Now the schedule is complicated. I don't know if we're doing the year in review or the year to come. We seem to be looking forward, Michael. The schedule gets complicated, but I think you are going to see one, probably two, at least two criminal trials in 2024. Um, there's no avoiding it. Which of the two that you think? Well, we're going to see the Jack Smith case because the absolute immunity argument is going to fail in the Supreme Court. And I think we have enough time. Depending how they do it, you can't guarantee. Likely. These are all likelihoods. They're probabilities. They're odds. Likely you'll see the Jack Smith case on a 60 to 90 day delay. And do you know what that means, Michael? The Alvin Bragg case, which is so important, the 2016 election interference case. 
where you you served jail time for your role in that, and you took on the responsibility. You did not try to evade. You did the right thing. That is an election interference case. You pled guilty to campaign finance violations. And that's why I think you'll be such a compelling witness. That case is going to go to trial on March 25th, I believe. Oh, that's going to trial. There's no doubt about this. You know, everybody keeps talking about, including Donald. He put out a thing the other day, and he declared a victory. It says declared victory in regard to the delay of the Jack Smith, the Tanya Chutkin case, right? Uh, the Georgia case. Yes. I mean, he's calling it a victory. I don't understand, nor do I see the victory he's referring to. All you did is change the schedule. So the fact that that case might be delayed from what was supposed to be March 4th start date to June, maybe July, right? All that means is that Alvin Bragg is going to go first instead of second. It's not like there aren't four cases that are waiting them, and maybe even five soon. But the part of my question that really perplexes is perplexing to me. Yeah. Is the fact that his lawyers believe that an impeachment hearing is a criminal proceeding. Uh, that's bizarre. I, I, yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. understand what they're talking about. So how can an administrative proceeding, which is what the impeachment hearing yeah. is, how could they possibly look at that and say, well, you didn't convict me on a, you know, an administrative level, so therefore you can't convict me or even try me on a criminal yeah. matter. This is one of the most bizarre arguments in the whole weird panoply. And you know, his lawyer, John, and I practice criminal defense law together, so I know John well at, uh, at the Zucker and Spader firm where I was a partner, worked for 20 years before my uh, detour into government. Uh, I never went back to making money, Michael. I haven't made a penny since 2008. Uh, the um, practicing law, fortunately, I found one or two other things to do. Um, so, Aloro has made this. He's very audacious. You have to be when you're a criminal defense lawyer. <laughs> they make two arguments. One, you know, it's an argument, it's wrong, but it's legit. The other, as you point out, is nuts. The legit argument is, okay, do you have absolute immunity for what you did as president within the outer perimeter under Nixon Fitzgerald? The answer is no, almost certainly not, but you know, you can ask, you're not gonna get uh, thrown out of court for asking. But the other argument is that the constitution says that you can execute it as a former president if you were tried and convicted at the impeachment trial in the Senate. And otherwise, the impeachment trial blocks if you're acquitted. It's a kind of double jeopardy argument, a criminal argument. But these are two totally different proceedings. And the words of the Constitution make it clear. The Constitution says that um, if you're tried at impeachment, nevertheless, you can uh, be subject to criminal. It doesn't say only if. It says nevertheless. They're taking the meaning of the words and turning them upside down to make this double jeopardy argument. I'll tell you why they're doing it. Because if you have a double jeopardy case, 
you get a stay. But here the double jeopardy argument is so weak and frivolous and phony and false that I don't think Judge Chutkin should have given Donald Trump a stay. She should have proceeded with everything up to jury selection. Everything up to swearing in the jury. But but no, because there's no double jeopardy. Right, that's the point. That there is none, and the impeachment hearings—they're political. They're not. They're not pretty. I mean, you put on the case as if this was a criminal trial, but it's political. There was no way that a Republican Senate was going to vote to convict. I mean, it was determined yeah. in advance. So yeah, it's it. The whole argument to me is just stupid, and I was um less than impressed with John Morrow. He's a clever guy. He has stalled. He has yeah. stalled the proceedings. Michael, you're talking. There's only a couple dozen living American lawyers who've ever litigated an impeachment trial, and you're talking to one of them. Well, the so they're a, they're a funny. Yeah. They're a funny. They're a funny combination of legal and political, but they're certainly not criminal. The Constitution does not say that you get a criminal pass if you're acquitted. It's a made-up, audacious, ridiculous argument. It's there to try to get a stay. It's not going to work. Uh, and, uh, you know, Trump is doing what he does best. He's playing for delay. Exactly. But, Norm, I guess this last Saturday, Trump asked the federal appeals court to rule that he's immune from prosecution. This is great. Because he was acting within his role as president when he pressed claims about alleged fraud and irregularity in the 2020 election. I mean, talk about absurdity, right? What do you think that we should expect there? Uh, well, this filing that he made is part of the rocket docket in the District of Columbia Circuit Court of Appeals uh, hearing Chutkin's ruling that Donald Trump does not have absolute immunity. And I think, you know, a lot of people focused uh, on the fact that the Supreme Court wasn't willing to leapfrog. Jackson has said, hey, like in U.S. v. Nixon, you should leapfrog the Court of Appeals. The Supreme Court said not so fast. The Court of Appeals is going very quickly. They've set a hearing for January 9th. We want to see the briefing. We want to see what they decide. Refusing to leapfrog was a kind of a, like this Supreme Court putting in a bid, um, an application for insurance policy, because if they are merely affirming two lower courts, that's much safer than them intruding. So it was okay for Smith to try. It was okay for them to say, we're going to go a little slower. Um, I, think it was, I think it was the right decision. I really think it was the right decision. Uh, you know, not to leap. Yeah. I know that we all yeah. want to move this. In fact, you know, when somebody brought this up to me and said to me, yeah, the Supreme Court, that's because they're in Trump's pocket. First of all, they're not in Trump's pocket. I think no, it they're the not right in Trump's pocket. I think it was the right decision, and I'll tell you why. Because there is a procedure that needs to be followed, and I think they were doing, personally, I think that they did the right thing. That's just... Yeah, again, that's just my. If we wanted to move this case forward faster, Merrick 
Garland should have brought the case faster. They should have had a special counsel appointed a year earlier. The same thing I could even say with Alvin Brand, right? When he was told by Mark Pomerantz, let's go. We got the fucking goods, dude. Let's go. No. What? Alvin no. Brand wanted no, 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 to no, take... No, 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 Hold on. Alvin Brand wanted to take his time, and so he did. And I still think Alvin Brand... He didn't Bragg take his time. The guy barely... He barely got there, Michael. He needed time to figure out if it was a legitimate case, okay? Bragg is in a different situation uh, than DOJ. He moves more quickly. He's got his case on trial. A new DA is entitled to, to a year to figure out what case he's going to bring. Not a case like this, especially when you have somebody with the qualifications of a Mark Pomerantz that spent a whole year himself. You gotta have trust in the people. As, that are, as a that matter are of legal, as a matter of legal ethics, he can't rely on other people. He needs to assure himself. Then let that me he rephrase it. Let me phrase it this way. Okay, let's give Alvin Bragg the pass. Cy Vance should have brought the case before he left. That's a different. All That's right, how about that one? If everybody wanted to see that case, and again, when you have somebody of the likes of a Mark Pomerantz, say whatever you want, you know, and, you know, whether it's a book, this or that, whatever it might be, when you have the somebody with the skill set of a Mark Pomerantz, as far as I'm concerned, Cy Vance should not have wimped out. He should have definitively, definitively filed that action. And then, here's what Bray we know. Here's what we know. That uh, Alvin Bragg made his own judgment. He filed the case. It's been litigated heavily by Trump. Trump has lost everything in court. Yep. A lot of people say, you oh, got to give him credit for it. Yep. And <laughs> you got to give him credit for it. A year is not an unreasonable amount of time. It's not like Merrick Garland or the others who took longer. Um, and, um, you know, the upshot, everything was litigated in federal court. Trump dismissed his appeal. Dismissed his appeal. Yep. So, uh, you know, your uh, insights about this case have been vindicated. The more important thing is to look forward. And as we do a look back and a look forward, look back to 23, look forward to 2024, I expect that there will be at least two cases. Let me give you the lay down of the calendar, okay, Mike? Yes. Um, That's why I have uh, well, we're, uh, it's that, and, you know, we are, we have become very good friends. You were the very first to warn me of all this, that Donald Trump was not, when I interviewed you right before you went to start serving your time, you stood up and did the right thing. You went to start serving your time in Otisville. I came to see you in New York, and you, when I was starting my impeachment work, and you, um, you showed me what, who Donald Trump really was. And one thing you said stuck with me. And it was the theme of 2023. It relates to this absolute immunity conversation we're having. It's going to be the biggest issue in the world in 2024. Like 2024 is going to be a historic year for the three millennia long history of democracy. Um, you told me. Donald Trump will never leave the White House voluntarily. Do not expect a peaceful transition of power. He is going to refuse to go if he loses. 
And that is still the issue, of course, that came to the fore. You helped me get ready. That's part of the debt of gratitude I have to you. You helped me get ready. That's why when I drafted, it's in my book. I write about you in my impeachment book, A Case for the American People, and I reveal for the first time we had 10 articles of impeachment. We only ended up using two, but why you inspired me to do 10? Because you warned me, this guy is a dictator. And you were the first, Michael, you were the first full extent of Trump's danger to democracy. The first person that told me to my face. I went to talk to you about these hush money payments, 2016 election interference. By the way, we were ahead of the curve on that too, my friend. I wanted to put that in the impeachment. Um, no, you warned me, he's norm. If you take one thing away from this conversation, Donald Trump is not leaving the White House voluntarily. He's not going on his own. And of course, we had to have a failed insurrection to evict him. And now he want to get, wants to get back in there with absolute immunity and admitted dictatorial powers on day one. He says, I'm going to defy the rule of law. He admits he said he's going to criminally prosecute his adversaries if they're doing well politically. Um, and he's going to uh, revenge. He was just did a word cloud yesterday on Truth Social. Revenge was at the middle. Revenge and dictator. Like, he's, he's, he's advertising it. It's crazy. You told me. You may remember. You told me. So 2024... 2024, just to finish, might be the year in which that's adjudicated. And that brings me to my big year-end times rundown of the polls, the hidden secret that is dangerous for Donald Trump's political prospects in the 2023 polls. And it's a very important aspect, Michael, of the year in review, because it shows if you get that conviction... The American people will reject him, and and I think there's going to be multiple trials. We're going to have the Bragg trial in March. I think we'll probably get the Smith trial with a 60 to 90 day delay, which is just enough time for Bragg to do his thing. I would allocate, uh, you know, uh, then who knows what will happen in the Mar-a-Lago documents case. That's currently set for May. I think that's going to be kicked. We'll find out at the beginning of March. The judge has a scheduling conference. And then August, Bonnie Willis wants to go. And she said she could go earlier. She told the Atlanta Journal Constitution, well, I might go earlier. So, you know, I don't think Donald Trump is going to dodge those four trials, my friend. So, you know, another thing that I had said to you of the court. 
um, on my MSNBC piece with brilliant uh, colleague, younger colleague, uh, Josh Kolb, who I do so much work with, I lay out the law that Thomas should be required to recuse. And there is a glimmer of hope, Michael, because he did recuse in an Eastman case. Eastman was his uh, clerk, and the Eastman case came up another part of 2023. It was like a miracle. Clarence Thomas actually recused himself from a case because of a conflict. One. But, like, we don't know, for example, in this uh, Supreme Court order rejecting the Jack Smith leapfrog petition, Again, I'm not that stressed out about. It was a one-line order in the court's docket. Did Clarence Thomas recuse himself from that order, or did he participate? With Ginny Thomas, a central part of the events leading up to January 6th, calling Mark Meadows, calling on the states to, at least in Arizona, to use fake electoral certificates, a part of one of the organization's planning to stop the steel events January 6th, present on January 6th at the Ellipse rally. How can her husband be adjudicating anything relating to January 6th? I mean, give me a break. So he should go, we lay out the law at MSNBC. We lay out the facts. We explain why Thomas should recuse himself. But Willie, I'm sorry to say, He's probably going to break the law yet again, as he's done with all of these illegitimate gifts. And there's nothing that we can do. I mean, it's really, I'm a firm believer in term limits. I really am. I am 100% a believer that nobody, no one should have a job for life. Not a Supreme Court judge, certainly not a president of the United States, not even the federal court judges. Right. You're members of Congress. Right. Governors. and so. I mean, this whole thing is insane to me. When you start hearing the longest serving member of Congress, he's there for 52 years, 52 years. I mean, what the fuck is that about? Seriously, I mean, 52 years. You know, when our founding fathers first came up with the system of, you know, having the representation, members of Congress, and so on. It was supposed to be a duty to those who were able to serve their fellow man, right? Their their neighbor. And it was not supposed to be a job. It was like, um, more like jury duty, where it's an obligation. But because it's become so lucrative for so many of them, it's not just only become a job. Being a politician has become a profession. Now, you may have heard, and you and I have spoken offline about, I am considering a congressional run against Jerry Nadler. And I really do have to make the decision within the next 14 days because, and I have everything ready to go. I have my website ready to go. I have the whole thing ready to go. My platform is ready to go. I still just have not gotten the thumbs up from the wife because we've been beaten down by our system so badly. But Jerry Nadler will have been now in office literally 32 years. 32 years. He's, and you and he's say the, to yourself he's as the a most New Yorker. Effective. He's so effective up there though, Michael. He's oh the my God. He's one of so, the most, he's he's the most the ineffective. Most. New York. No, I've seen him up close. I gotta tell you, I gotta be straight with you. 
he is so um he is so focused dedicated hardworking he uses his seniority you know i wrote about this in my book when nobody else saw the threat of trump most of the he was a leader of the democratic caucus we have to impeach him so i think that you get this no whoa, whoa i gotta stop you there, my brother because he takes the credit for that the guy who actually did it is adam schiff in fact no way adam, adam schiff no, 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 Jerry Nadler saw the holistic threat that Donald Trump represented. So, um, um, yeah, I think before Jerry Nadler saw the threat, you know who saw it first? You and me. Me. That's who. Well, now Nadler was the further. one who. <laughs> Let me go one step further. Well, you got was... these gigantic booms now going across the street with congestion pricing. You have migrants walking all over Manhattan. You have the streets falling apart here. He's so busy doing God knows what in Washington. Okay, the impeachment. How did that work out? Just like everything. I, you know what? I'm not going to argue with you because it's our end of the year. I was just making a point. That's true. That but Michael, people listen. Part of the reason people listen to the show is because the podcast is because you tell it like it is. And I like to think I think some of our better rated appearances, we get good ratings when you and I people love to listen because we talk the same way as brothers that we do when nobody else is listening. Right. Sometimes we agree. Sometimes we disagree with mutual respect and love. That's right. be bullshit. So, all right, so let me move on away from it, because I still think, I don't care what you say, Jerry Nadler is the most ineffective human being I've ever, he's too old. The most job. effective I've seen. Yeah. So let me so ask you this. effective. Yeah. What has he done? Prove it. But what about the Colorado ruling that keeps Trump off the yeah. ballot? I mean, that to me was a major, major surprise. That's yeah. also now headed to the Supreme Court. What's your take, Norm? What's your take yeah. on how it's going to go full, and why? And why full the disclosure, yeah. Full disclosure, as you know, I'm the founder, co-founder of Crew um, 20 years ago. Uh, and uh, even though I stepped off the board when I went to do the impeachment, I still have the greatest uh, love and respect for my crew colleagues. Um, I knew that they had a the best chance of anybody in the country because they won the previous ruling against the January 6th insurrectionist, the New Mexico uh, state official, Coy Griffin, mm -hmm. pushing him out of office because he was in violation of 14th Amendment. So they went down the block to Colorado and they just put on a stellar case at trial um, and they won everything except for one issue at trial. And that was not, the trial judge made a bizarre ruling, legal ruling. Donald Trump is not covered by the 14th Amendment because it doesn't, when it says all federal officials, it doesn't cover the, come on. Right. The Colorado Supreme Court 
the Colorado Supreme Court um, rectified that and uh, affirmed the rest of the trial court ruling and said, look, the 14th Amendment says insurrectionists may not serve in office. Donald Trump was clearly an insurrectionist. He encouraged that mob. He did nothing when they raged. And he, in fact, called out Mike Pence at 2.24 p.m. He put his own vice president's life in danger when he was there in the Capitol, surrounded by out-of-control rioters. They were just starting to calm down, and then Trump caused them to explode again at 2.24. If you're an insurrectionist, it's like being 18 years old or being born in Germany. The 14th Amendment says you're not qualified, so you can't go on the ballot under Colorado law. Every state's law is different. Well, I think that they made the right decision. Now, here's the challenge. Nobody knows. The Supreme Court has never been presented with this question. Nobody knows what this Supreme Court will do. And, uh, you know, they have not exactly been favorable to Donald Trump in democracy cases. So I can't predict what they're going to do. Can you? No, I have I have no idea. I do have to believe, despite the fact that the court system has not been good to me at all. Not from Judge William H. Pauley III, certainly not the Southern District yeah. of New York with Nick Roots or Tom McKay or Angie Griswold or Jeffrey Berman and yeah. Robert Kazami and all the animals that are over there. They have not been good to me. So do I think the Supreme Court is going to? I actually think that they will. I think that I, I, I don't know why. Maybe. I'm more hopeful than I am optimistic. I don't know the answer. Or maybe I'm more optimistic than I am hopeful. I don't know how they're going to how they're going to rule. But I wanted to morph that into a different question for a second, Norm. Because obviously we know right now that Donald is facing 91 felony cases. 91. And of all of the cases against Trump, and we know that there are four, possibly soon to be a fifth, which is the one that you think will bring him down first? <laughs> or which is the one that you think will just bring him down altogether? Do you think that there's any chance he walks away from one, all two punch. one felony counts? One, two punch. Alvin Bragg, 2016 election interference. Jack Smith, 2020 election interference. Those are the two cases. I think the Mar-a-Lago case is going to get pushed to later in 2024, maybe even 2025, I'm sorry to say. And then the Fannie Willis case um, will be, you know, will also be devastating to him, but that may not start until August. So right now... But that'll be bad, too. So let's say a one, two, three punch, Michael. 2016 state election interference case. 2020 federal election interference case. Number three, 2020 state interference case. So it's a one, two, three punch from state and federal prosecutors. You know, that's the way our democracy should work. The having giving state the states and the feds the power to do this is part of the checks and balances that our founding fathers and constitutional framers and founding mothers, that the founders and the framers 
laid down. This is checks and balances in action, by the way, also including all the other cases, including the 14th Amendment. I write about them all in my New York Times piece, in my MSNBC piece, my two big end-of-year op-eds. Well, then let me ask you this, because obviously, once we hit 2024, right, we are heading into the election year. What are your best predictions? You think Trump will even be the Republican nominee? And if he's not, who do you think will be? And one last question on that. And will he or she, who do you think that they'll choose as their running mate? Like, who would Donald bring on right now as his running mate? And hypothetically, it's not going to be Donald. Maybe Nikki Haley ends up getting the nomination because Republicans smarten up. Who do you think that she would choose? Huh. She ain't going to win it. That is beyond my ken <laughs> to do the running mate sweepstakes. I think if you force me to it, I think Trump is going to pick a, a young, dynamic, loyal, more historically centrist woman. You know who I'm thinking of? Stefanik. Scary Lake. She used to be so normal. Yeah. So, you know, she's demonstrated her absolute fealty to Donald Trump. I think Stefanik is the leader. I don't think Nikki Haley. She's been too critical of Trump, even pulling punches. And she's too independent. Trump want, doesn't want another Pence. He wants someone who will go to the death with him, go to the mat with him, who will bring in a dictatorship. That's not Nikki Haley. So I think uh, Stefanik, and that would be a very attractive ticket, Trump Stefanik. Make no mistake. You know, then, can I ask you this? Can I just jump in for a second and ask you this? I mean, if I know Trump right now is, you know, uh, domicile is Florida, but Donald Trump is a New Yorker. I'm not sure in our history if we've ever had a president and vice president from the same state. I think that turns off a lot of people in the Midwest. Trump uh, has switched to Florida, though. Trump has switched his domicile to Florida. I understand, Florida. but he's a New Yorker. You can say whatever you want. Yeah, okay. He's domiciled now for tax purposes in Florida. Nobody but cares. Donald has always Nobody been known cares. as a New Yorker. A New York vice the president geographic, New York president? The political experts, you know, I'm just a lawyer who plays one, right? I'm, I've been doing politics, like, as a lawyer in the political arena for decades, so I can pretend. Uh, like, when they put me on these panels on CNN, and sometimes there's a political question, I'm there to be the lawyer, but I'll weigh in on the politics. Um, the, um, that geographic effect, indeed the whole vice presidential effect, is uh, overstated. Um, people really decide based on the top of the ticket. Nevertheless, I think the dine and the geography is really irrelevant, say the professionals and the pollsters and the other experts. I think that the um, Stefanik Trump um, pairing will be powerful, not because Stefanik is important, because she puts him in a good light. That, you know, it's like a setting first. You know, uh, for a, a stolen diamond. In his case, he's a cubic zirconium. He's pretending to be running on American principles. He's a fake and a phony. Okay, the guy's a uh, dictator. He's anti-American. So, Norm, let me ask you this then. They, and when I say they, 
I'm referring to the GOP. They're trying to paint Joe Biden as feeble and ineffective. Now, I say this all the time. The one thing I will acknowledge is Joe Biden is old. Right? I mean, for yeah. standards, yeah. He's, you know, he happens, but he's not feeble, nor is he ineffective. Yeah. So how is Democrats, how should Jamie Harrison, the head of the DNC, how should they best combat their mis- this misinformation campaign that is being lodged against Joe? How could Joe Biden just sit back and do nothing? What do they all need to do? They can't rely on Michael Cohen 24-7. They can't rely on Norm Eisen. They can't rely on the Micellus Brothers with the Midas Touch Network or Lincoln Project. And so what are they going to do to best combat this misinformation campaign being promoted by the GOP and Donald? Well, first of all, I think the press has to be much more candid. You know, the the style of reporting, the kind of both sides now style of reporting. Mm -hmm. If you want to call it that. Who's that song? Who's that song? I've looked at life from both sides now. Is that Joni Mitchell? Is that uh, Carol? generation, brother. (laughs) Um, That's our generation. That's our generation, Michael. Um, so the, I've looked at life from both sides. And I've looked at presidential candidates from both sides. No, um, that won't work uh, at all. Um, we've got to be, we've got Joni Mitchell. I was right. Um, they say your first guesses are often there. Uh, uh, they always uh, say so that on these standardized tests. That's how I did so well on all those standardized tests. You think I got it to Harvard Law School on my good looks? Um, um, no. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, By the, the way, both sidesism. <laughs> the both sidesism doesn't. The both sidesism doesn't work. There's a very solemn press responsibility. Number two, and we're seeing this um, with the Republican voices, conservative voices, like my friend, judge Mike Ludig, we need conservatives to step forward. People will listen to conservatives. Bill Crystal is another great champion. And there have been hundreds of them. Big fan. Uh, Olivia Troy. I'm on TV with Olivia Troy Big all the fan. time. Uh, um, the conservatives have to step forward and we need a uh, bill Barr. I hate him, and I hate him for what he did to Michael Cohen. Okay, that was a Bill Barr special, I believe. Yep. But Bill Barr has stepped forward and been very critical. John Bolton. You think I have anything in common with John Bolton, Michael? You know, but I bumped, John into, Bolton him. Has I bumped into him two weeks ago yeah. over at the Regency. Yeah. But and you know what? Can we talk about Bill Barr for one quick second since you brought him up? How come? So Bill Barr, what, by saying, I told Donald you lost the election? As far as I'm concerned, you haven't even scratched the surface of making your way back into polite society. I don't see Bill Barr. Why? Because he goes on CNN and he sits with whether it's Caitlin Collins or any of the other, you know, um, hosts there and turns around and he's critical of Trump. Fuck you, Bill Barr. Let me be very clear about that. Fuck you. You get up before Congress like I did seven times and you spill the beans on what you did for Donald to people like me. An unfucking constitutional remand back to prison. 
Not me saying it, Judge Alvin K. Hellerstein. And you know what? God willing, I'm going to be successful in this case that was just brought before the Second Circuit, the uh, Court of Appeals, on my Michael Cohen versus United States of America, Trump, Bill Barr, et al. All right? If that goes back, damn straight I want to depose Bill Barr. And I want the goddamn truth from him because that's how democracy gets saved. Not by him coming on the shows and saying, oh, I told Donald you lost the election. <laughs> Come on. Well, um, I carry no brief for Bill Barr, Michael. I truly don't. Um, I shouldn't have mentioned him because I know you know, what he did to you, I believe is terribly wrong. I've gone on the record, okay? Yep. I wrote, wrote with your lawyer, brilliant lawyer, Tanya Perry. Wow, she's yes. so good. We wrote the afterward to your to your book. Well, you, told me um, you, also wrote, you also wrote a letter regarding a pardon application that I'm going to be submitting and, in, in January. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think that... Um, Trump and Barr did a terrible, terrible thing. But still, I'm going to, you know, it's another one of our friendly disagreements. What Bill Barr is doing is very valuable. Look, you know, another one. Oh, my God, I can't leave him out. Trump's special counsel. I was special counsel to Obama. There's like a club of the special counsels. Trump's special counsel, Ty Cobb, he's come out and denounced this turn to dictatorship. Okay? So I think that... Um, uh, I think that, um, I think that, uh, we need more of that and that's what it's going to take the, and you know, Mitch McConnell, the leaders who are in Congress need to be more outspoken. McConnell made a mistake in not voting. They, they, they got seven votes. They could have, if they got a few more votes, they could have permanently impeached and barred Donald Trump in the second impeachment. McConnell made a mistake in not supporting that. Mm -hmm. And um, and so we're going to need those elected leaders as well, Michael. You know, Republicans. Since we're talking about people... Moscow, have, Mitch. Your, some of them, your estimation... Mitch McConnell. Not so much in mind, but who have come forward and denounced Donald Trump for his behavior, his actions, his anti-Constitution, um, you know, behavior... What about Rudy Colludi, drunken Giuliani, right? I mean, how do you predict? I mean, he should be out there front and center. How do you predict that America's former mayor is going to ultimately fare? Because when all is said and done, he's got a RICO case coming in Georgia, as well as various felony cases pending in at least four different courts, just like Donald. I mean... Do you think that he's going to do time? You think he'll try to make some sort of a blanket deal in order to do something? I mean, he's not a young man. Financially now, he's broke, right? What does he have to gain other than to sit, to wait, cross his fingers, hope Donald wins? And then the best part about That's it the play. is uh, and then hope that Donald's going to even pardon him. Donald could be very pissed at him. Yeah. Um, but he's Giuliani is is playing the Trump game, which is delay. That's also the Giuliani game, Michael. Yep. And here's what he's doing. He's trying to delay. He's using bankruptcy to delay paying that judgment. Uh, to he couldn't pay uh, that his, judgment even if he didn't fall for bankruptcy. He can't. He's out of money. Okay, the guy's gonna be living in somebody's. 
when he's in full um, delay mode, bankruptcy, he's dragging his feet uh, as much as possible on the criminal cases. He's been very defiant. What he's hoping for is is a gamble. He's hoping for for a pardon from Donald, the embrace of Donald. His only way he's going to get money now is if Donald and his supporters say, oh, okay, I'm going to throw you a bone, right? Maybe give him a place. Hey there, I wanted to go check out this normizing thing. With the modest touch. Got the modest touch. Everything else is gone. I put on lawyers to make massive blunder that could sink him. Let's listen to that three hours ago. I've been looking for a product like this my whole life. And we were all putting it on, looking in the mirror, and we're like, oh my God, this is a friggin' miracle. That's why. He has also voiced some concern that a court that has, you know, he appointed uh, three of the justices uh, to the Supreme Court and it gave a, the conservatives a supermajority. He is concerned that they are going to look as if they're trying not to rule in his favor and might rule against him. What do you say about that, Alina? Yeah, that's a, that's a concern that he's voiced to me. Um, he's voiced to everybody publicly, not privately. And I can tell you that his concern is a valid one. You know, Republicans are conservative. They get nervous. They, unfortunately, are uh, sometimes shy away from being pro-Trump because they feel that even if the law's on our side, uh, they may be swayed much like the Democratic side would right? So they're trying so hard to look neutral that sometimes they make the wrong call. Um, and I just encourage them to really look at the law and the Constitution. It's a very clean cut, Martha. There's no there's no politics that should be involved in this. It's just simply American. And if the justices read the law as I do, as, as most Americans and attorneys do, even Dershowitz, who's uh, known liberal, um, it's just a simple decision oh, which you have really nothing to do with if you're a Republican or a Democrat. So I don't know. It's Maggie. I'm a friend, I'm a friend of Maggie. Even though we're on different sides of the coin, but she's right. The president's always concerned about people worrying about that. All right, let's talk about attorney-client privilege and why when a lawyer goes on TV and talks about their communications with their client, that can be construed as a waiver of attorney-client privilege. So attorney-client privilege means that the communications between an attorney and their client shall remain confidential provided that the communication is within the scope of their representation and consultation that it is not being disclosed to third parties and that it is not being used for a crime where the crime fraud exception applies so assuming there are legitimate communications between an attorney and their client that cannot be discovered in a criminal case or a civil case or in any other context any other context it remains privileged it remains confidential and the attorney client privilege is such a kind of sacrosanct privilege that even when there is a search warrant that is executed, for example, at uh, Mar-a-Lago back in August of 2022, the Department of Justice has to send in what's referred to as a taint 
team, two separate teams, one team that's executing the search warrant and searching for the uh, fruits of the poisonous tree or searching for uh, the uh, criminal material or the, in this case, the documents or the contraband or whatever else is the subject of the search warrant. But then a separate team is going in that very carefully handles anything that could be construed as attorney-client privilege, and that's separated. It's a whole other team that pushes that aside, holds that aside, so that the team that's conducting the criminal investigation doesn't even have access to anything that can be construed as attorney-client privilege. But the reason I showed you that clip at the beginning of Alina Haba is Donald Trump and his lawyers uh, repeatedly talk about their confidential communications publicly. And while that may seem normal because Trump's lawyers do it all the time, it isn't normal. And it actually has major legal consequences. So I want you to save this video right here because it may be very relevant in the next 60 days regarding other motions that are going to be filed in the uh, Trump case in the Southern District of Florida, the Mar-a-Lago document case, because Donald Trump has previewed that he intends to file uh, a motion to dismiss before Judge Eileen Cannon on the issue of vindictive prosecution and specifically on the issue of uh, the attorney-client privilege being breached. And Donald Trump claims that Special Counsel Jack Smith and his team seized confidential communications between Trump and his lawyer that they should never have had access to in the first place. Now, Donald Trump's argument is flawed for one major reason, specifically because any of the documents that uh, were eventually turned over that could have been deemed attorney-client information came specifically from decisions that were made by uh, a Washington, D.C. federal judge, Judge Beryl Howell, who was overseeing a special, uh, who was overseeing rather a grand jury that was investigating the crimes also uh, by Donald Trump and, and where there were issues about attorney-client privilege, there would be decisions by Judge Beryl Howell, a federal judge, or formerly the chief judge in Washington, D.C., about whether or not certain documents were subject to attorney-client privilege or whether, for example, the crime fraud exception applied whether Donald Trump was using legal representation in furtherance of his commission of crimes, whether or not the lawyer knew they were being used uh, unwittingly or wittingly, um, that would be a waiver of attorney-client privilege. So that's how special counsel Jack Smith got certain documents. And you'll also recall, for example, in the uh, federal case, uh, the case involving the search warrant that was executed at Mar-a-Lago, where Judge Eileen Cannon had like a special master appear. Attorney-client documents were eventually separated from all the other documents at Mar-a-Lago. So Trump does not have a good argument on the issue of attorney-client privilege, but let me show you what Donald Trump is arguing right here. And um, then let me explain to you why Donald Trump's lawyers 
constantly talking about their communications with Donald Trump, I think is going to be used by special counsel Jack Smith in a future motion. So here's Donald Trump's opposition to a motion by special counsel Jack Smith for Donald Trump to disclose 60 days before the trial date in the Southern District of Florida Mar-a-Lago uh, document case, if Donald Trump is going to utilize what's called an advice of counsel defense, Donald Trump has indicated that one of his main defenses in both cases is that he's going to blame his lawyers and throw mm-hmm. his lawyers under the bus for why he committed crimes. But when you do that, that's another reason why attorney claims is deep waived if you blame your lawyers for uh, the reason that you committed crimes the burden of production then goes on you and then you have to produce the record showing your reliance on the lawyer essentially telling you to commit the crime but one of the arguments Donald Trump makes in this opposition to disclosing whether or not he will be asserting an advice of counsel defense and thereby waiving attorney-client privilege is the following argument on page six of Donald Trump's motion filed uh, a week ago. Trump goes, Trump will demonstrate through further motions that the special counsel's office has already unlawfully invaded his attorney-client privilege and compelled lawyers to testify before a grand jury in the District of Columbia. In the motion, the office curiously, special counsel's office, curiously ignores the fact, this fact, and fails to inform the court that they have much more information regarding legal advice provided to Trump than in a typical case. It is therefore disingenuous for the office to raise the specter of an ambush and argue that discovery about these matters is uniquely within the possession of the defendant. So an odd argument that Donald Trump's lawyers are making there, but all of their arguments are odd. Odd is probably better than just completely patently frivolous. They (laughs) act like Donald, they act like special counsel Jack Smith just seized this attorney client information in Washington, DC. It was a federal judge ordered that that be turned over with a finding, a judicial finding, that the crime fraud exception applied or that the documents were not subject to an attorney-client privilege, privilege could have been waived, things that were discussed with third parties, non-privilege, or that there was a crime fraud uh, exception. But there's this broader issue, ultimately, when Donald Trump tries to assert this in a motion, which is going to happen fairly soon, where Trump's going to argue that the special counsel office has unlawfully violated Donald Trump's attorney-client privilege. Here's what I think special counsel Jack Smith argues. One, that's ridiculous and absurd. A judge ordered that these documents be turned over. Two, Donald Trump talks about these things publicly, or these statements were made with people who were not acting in the capacity as Donald Trump's legal counsel. Three, the crime fraud exception applies to any of the documents the special counsel's office has. But then there's this other argument that I think you're going to raise, which is the waiver of attorney-client privilege, that Alina Haba and Donald Trump's lawyers go on TV and talk about their case, and they talk about their private conversations. That's just not something that's supposed to happen. Like, oh, Donald Trump is getting very worried about, he's, has told me this, he said this, Donald Trump has said that. All of that can be construed 
simple. Donald Trump, President Trump, believed in his heart of hearts mm -hmm. that he had won that election. As any American citizen, he had a right to speak out under the First Amendment. He had a right to petition governments around the country, state governments, based on his grievances that election irregularities had occurred. He had every right to speak about the important issues that were taking place after the election. Certainly, Mr. Pence, his vice president, agreed with him that there were anomalies and discrepancies in the election process. And Mr. Trump had every right to petition government and enforce his First Amendment rights. That's why this indictment is an attack on the First Amendment. The government, the Biden administration, would have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that President Trump did not believe that he had won the election. They will never be able to do that. And that's why this prosecution is so ill-conceived you know and by the way john morrow saying those things was like a you haven't seen him on really since then have you right that was a gift 
to Special Counsel Jack Smith because Special Counsel Jack Smith's been citing all that stuff that Lauro said in all of his motions. Now, look, Lauro said this, Lauro said that. He said they're ready. He said this is what their defense was going to be. Look what Trump's lawyers have said publicly. That has all found its way into all of Special Counsel Jack Smith's briefs. So mm -hmm. setting aside the issue of waiver as well, Donald Trump's lawyers have given Jack Smith and have given the prosecutors a treasure trove of evidence. It's never a good thing when the lawyers are the ones giving the key facts to be used against your client by prosecutors. But over and over and over again, that's what we're seeing that they're doing because they're playing for the audience. They're Media. playing for the PR. And then, of course, you have Alina Haba, who then shows up and goes, oh, it's it's Jack Smith who likes the press. Here, remember this? Play this clip. They love having pressers. They love having press conferences, Jack Smith. They love having press conferences, getting in front, having their moment. It's almost a narcissistic. He said that on a podcast a day ago, two days ago. And it's all projection and confession. It's just really strange. But the good news is, is that, you know, you get the lawyers that you deserve. That's an expression. And Donald Trump, uh, the blowhard, the... Uh, uh, crook, the corrupt uh, motherfucker, uh, financial fraud, all this, you know, Donald Trump's behavior has alienated credible lawyers. And now he's got the worst of the worst who, you know, engage in this conduct. So it's, it's a dynamic that he deserves. Mm -hmm. So there you have it. I'm Ben Mycellus. This is the Minus Touch Market. Subscribe. We're on our way to 2 million subscribers. Thanks to your support. Check us out at patreon.com slash Minus Touch. And have a great day. Hey, Might is Mighty. Love this report. Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram. She at don't Midas need no Keep up with the most important news of the day. She's, she's what are you waiting for? Follow us now. Yeah. More notifications. Oops. Thumbs up. Um, Supreme Court strikes again with shocking ruling 21 minutes ago. So Michael Popak, Legal AF, whenever this United States Supreme Court and its right-wing MAGA majority can find a way to undermine a woman's oh, right to choose shit. and giving her a bodily autonomy and equality under the law to make those decisions, they will find a way to undermine it. We just saw another example of it on Friday when the United States Supreme Court decided on one hand to take up on appeal by the uh, Biden administration, Idaho's almost total, near total ban on abortion, where they've criminalized all abortions. In fact, they call it criminal abortion, except in some very limited circumstances, so limited, according to the Biden administration and their appeal, that it violates federal law as it relates to emergency services. And that's going to be the fight at the United States Supreme Court. But rather than do what they do when, when it deals with religion or uh, guns or anything that they like or are interested in that don't involve women, the United States Supreme Court has decided to let the Idaho a near total ban stay on the books. They've actually gone out and blocked blocked the ban blocked the ban by the lower court federal trial judge in idaho who had blocked it claiming that it would be a violation of federal law and even a violation of the united states supreme court precedent from last year in the dobbs decision which overturned roe versus wade that's how far the idaho ban goes oh it even God. violates 
the Dobbs decision, which has been a catastrophe for women and women, people that support women related to their right to bodily autonomy. But the uh, judges of the Supreme Court, at least five of them, decided on a vote, anonymous, secret. There's no record of it as of right now, but we know it exists, have blocked that ban and allowed that law to stay out of books and be enforced against people, meaning doctors being prosecuted for providing abortions in almost all circumstances in Idaho from now until they rule in the summer. For them, it means nothing. For them, they're in January. What's another six or eight months? But to the women on the ground in Idaho, it matters. Life and death, change of life course decisions, lack of bodily autonomy for a group of women in Idaho from now until the ruling in June. Now, there's going to be oral argument in April, but they're not going to rule in April. They're going to rule right before they all go off on their very expensive, supported, mainly by right-wing MAGA vacations, these Supreme Court justices will get around to deciding whether a woman in Idaho is a second-class citizen or not, or whether she has to go outside the state, risk criminal prosecution by doing so, by going and, and taking care of her family planning somewhere else. Let me now go back to the Idaho decision, and then we'll go back to the Supreme Court and what it's currently ruled. The Idaho law is on the books in Idaho on in their criminal justice section of their statute books title 18 under crimes and punishment chapter 6 abortion and contraception you know you're in trouble in a state when things dealing with abortion and contraception which in 2023 2024 should no longer you know we're not talking about uh we're not talking about salem massachusetts we're not burning witches at the stake any longer you know when i was in law school in the 90s we thought we had decided already through a series of supreme court decisions that a woman had a right to choose that people had the right to bodily autonomy that people had the right to privacy especially in their bedroom about their most intimate affairs to keep judges in black robes out in a world of freedom libertarian freedom democracy in our constitutional republic i was wrong in 2023 those rights have all been rolled back by a ultra right-wing maga federalist set of judges and at the supreme court level and so that allows a state like idaho god forbid to to criminalize um uh, and put a scarlet letter stamped and burned on all of the women in idaho who can't uh, obtain a proper medical care and make these medical decisions so their abortion uh their abortion procedure is criminalized in a statute a criminal set of statutes under 18-622 of the Idaho statutes, criminal statutes, right? Which is the Defense of Life Act, which calls all abortions except in a very small subset, criminal abortions. No living being should ever eat processed food for every Fucking single outrageous. They'll need to get me criminal on the ballot. Abortions. You know where this is going when a state calls it a criminal abortion made it and, it, and it, it will put a uh, abortion provider, doctor or otherwise, or support people in jail for between two and five years for participating in giving an abortion or participating in, in any way. There are very small exceptions, all of which should violate the Dobbs decision, even the Dobbs decision by the United States Supreme Court and certainly violates federal law. P- particularly, there's an exception for good faith only if the doctor decides that the life of the mother 
is is at risk. She could die, and not by her own hand. They made sure, in a mean spirited way, that if the if the uh, a woman was so despondent that she was thinking about taking her own life by giving birth. That wasn't a good faith reason for the doctor to provide the abortion. Fuck and she yeah. wrote that into the statute. In addition, there is a rape and incest exception, but it's first trimester only, and only if the person reports it to um, proper authorities. Great. Now the woman has to be shamed by going to some sort of authority to say she's the, that there's a child that's a product of incest or rape. So it adds another layer of uh, disgrace, another another layer of self um, of, of uh, self deprecation. If you would not self deprecation, oh, sorry, wrong word of of uh, of just a, a total lack of respect for women. Disrespect, I guess, was the word I was I was grasping for, in, in buried and baked into the law. And so, as a result, there's really no exceptions. These are so limited. A handful of women would be able to take advantage of this and only not take advantage of it. It would, it would, it would apply to them and only if the doctors participating in it exercise their own level of good faith. So it's a ban, a total ban. And, and this United States Supreme Court, because five, at least five people voted for this, were OK for that law to stay on the books for the next not back down until they resign all of them Christopher Perez. Eight or nine months until they get around to deciding. How ironic the amount of time that will be that will be um, burnt on this particular law. Nine months, right? A human gestation period. So a woman today hoping that the United States Supreme Court would uphold the 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 block on that law who's pregnant right now, will give birth by the time this thing goes to oral argument and or decision. That's the real world consequences that the United States Supreme Court ignores. Right? And there are, at least on the MAGA side, one woman that's there that knows better. Of course, she's also the woman that has seven children, including adopted children, Amy Coney Barrett, and has gone out on the record and said, well, there, you can just take your baby and, and drop it off at a fire department anonymously that's okay you just drop mm -hmm. it in a deposit box that's fine there are you can you can give birth and then abandon your baby there are support systems for that i'm not kidding i'm not making that up she has said that in speeches and in and in reported decisions so if there, there's almost no hope when they finally take the decision that there's going to be five votes to overturn idaho's near total ban they said it's state by state they could make this decision on their own because there's no constitutional right to an abortion after they overturn Roe versus Wade. And now they've got a classic example. And if Idaho gets affirmed, that ban, then watch all the other red states follow suit. Well, 
Now the Supreme Court has decided to speak again just a year later on abortion to try to, you know, continue to uh, to uh, uh, calibrate their ruling. You know, we're getting, we're getting, that's how bad Dobbs was. Less than two years later, the Supreme Court has to take another abortion that's decision in order to um, fix whatever problem they're observing. Either states have gone too far and the, and the United States Supreme Court will try to roll it back a bit around the edges, around the, around the fringe, or uh, they're going to say, no, that's fine. That's exactly what we anticipated. You know, when Alito wrote the Dobbs decision, he said, leave it to the states. We can't be worried about real world consequences, right? We're up here in our ivory, t- in our ivory tower. We're, we're mainly a bunch of old white guys who've never carried a child. We're making these decisions for you. Right? So so it's going to be one of two things. The the new decision, now that they decided to take the case and leave the the, the crime on the books, is either going to say this was wrong and it's gone too far, which is unlikely, or it's okay because there's no United States constitutional right for a woman to have bodily autonomy and to be equal in our society. It's one of those two things. Both, Both of them are horrifying. The fact that they let that misconception go for so long and impact so many women's lives in the last year and a half since Dobbs, if, if, it's, if that's not what they wanted, is terrible. And the alternative is worse. That they're totally fine with Idaho-like total bans effectively on abortion. We're going to know one way or the other by the time we all go uh, you know, into summer whatever. Uh, we, we don't take a vacation or hiatus here on the Minus Touch Network or on Legal AF. By the time the summer rolls around, we're going to know the result. Because they're going to do oral argument in April. We'll cover it here on the Minus Touch Network after full briefing. We know what the Biden administration's position is. They're quite clear that the law violates federal, federal law. Particularly, I'll, I'll lay it out for you here. Federal law... And, Joe, and President Biden came out and criticized the court's action as follows. He said, today's Supreme Court order allows Idaho's extreme abortion ban to go back into effect and denies women critical emergency abortion care required by federal law. Particularly, the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act requires hospitals that receive Medicare, including those in Idaho. You're still part of the union, Idaho funding and have emergency rooms to provide treatment necessary to stabilize patients and that could include a medically necessary decision to perform an abortion that federal law conflicts with the idaho's total ban according to the suit that was filed uh, quoting from the, the lawsuit that was filed to support women in idaho even in dire situations that might qualify for the Idaho's laws limited necessary to prevent the death of the pregnant women affirmative defense, some providers could withhold care based on a well-founded fear of criminal prosecution, right? Can't make heads or tails of it. All you got to do is if you're an abortion provider or somebody that could do it, just go look at where, where is that abortion law in Idaho, by the way? I can't find it over here on the civil side. It's not. It's in the criminal part of the statute under a title, criminal, prosec- criminal abortions. Now it's had to chill down any provider's spine. I don't care about Hippocratic oaths. You know, they, they wouldn't do it. And that's the argument. And the judge, the lower court judge, federal district court in Boise, Idaho, Judge uh, Lynn Windmill, Judge Lynn Windmill, hero, entered a preliminary injunction in August of 2022 blocking the state law saying it presented the doctors with an impossible choice. As she said in her decision, if the physician provides the abortion, she faces indictment, arrest, pretrial detention, loss of her medical license, a trial on felony charges, 
and at least two years in prison. Yet, if the physician does not perform the abortion, the pregnant patient faces grave risks to her health, such as severe sepsis requiring limb amputation, uncontrollable uterine hemorrhage requiring hysterectomy, kidney failure requiring lifelong dialysis, hypoxic brain injury, or even death. That's at what's that's what's at stake, right wing of the United States Supreme Court. Now that you've allowed the abortion ban to go back in place from now until you get around to making a ruling in June before you go off on your Federalist Society right wing MAGA paid vacations and speech speeches and, and speaking engagements. We'll continue to follow it on the Legal AF on the Midas Touch Network, Wednesdays and Saturdays at 8 p.m. Join us for the full length podcast, the Legal AF pod. Until then, until my next hot take, this is Michael Popak reporting. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report. Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram. She don't need no Instagram. She just uses Instagram. Follow us now. Right. What's that normizing thing with with, uh, Michael Cohen? Hmm. Biden takes him down. Where's the... Hmm. Showdown with Supreme, what happens next? Here's what they don't want you to know. Seven days ago, Norm Eisen. One year ago, holy shit! Welcome, Marcia. Fucking one year ago, year ago was latest streams. Can Michael Popak um one day ago? Diaperdon's rapid decline accelerates. Hmm. Uh, Trump is screwed. Just quick as two fingers salute to Olena Haba. <laughs> Michael Cohen reacts to diapered on meltdown. Prosecutor who investigated diapered on hits him with crushing something or others. Ongoing systematic harassment. Files motion to shut down diapered on harassment. <clears throat> and hmm, about MSNBC highlights. Seventh hour with Stephanie Wool. Highlights January 6th. Yeah. Folks, 
Well, we're going to win re-election. I need you by start. my side from the very start. Whenever you're able to Whenever chip in, even if it's just a buck or two, we'll have a huge impact on our campaign. This might just be our hardest. Will you make a donation? Will you make a donation? Stand with Pamela, Camilla, and me. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's start with the Supreme Court. Peter, I turn to you. What is at stake here with Donald Trump getting on this ballot? Well, I mean, the stake is, is at stake is everything. Um, but I will say, you know, I was watching earlier on, on MSNBC, there was a lot of legal debate about this, about well, how strong the case is. I mean, I must say I've become so cynical about this court in particular. I mean, this is a political court, and this is a political case. And I don't think that a court that has is it three Donald Trump appointees, including and, and, a, and another Republican appointee who's been whose wife has been advocating uh, on, on, this, on this issue, is going to be making a legal issue, a legal case here. I think when you see a political decision, much like Bush v. Gore, I mean, I was I'm old enough to be in Tallahassee covering that when the Supreme Court came down then, it was a straight-line political vote. I, 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 I think there's a lot of legal issues to be discussed, but I think, there, I think the, 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 the answer is done. Okay, but you don't have to issue. wonder, did Trump appoint three judges? He's out there saying it. He is like a mob boss threatening them. I saw his lawyer on TV looking straight at the camera going, Brett Kavanaugh, he's going to come through for Trump. What is your take on that, Eddie? Well, I mean, you know, we don't take Trump to be the most ethical kind of guy really? on the planet, you know? And so that kind of quid pro quo, that kind of transactional approach to... Is how he rolls. Is how he rolls. But are we a nation of laws? Are we a constitutional republic? Does the 14th Amendment actually mean anything? Here we are at one of those moments that really we will become a defining moment in terms of what kind of nation. And, and Eddie, can I ask you just very quickly, the, the, if my argument that this is a political court that, that is going to vote on political lines, which happened with Shri Gore, I'm just curious from a historical perspective. I mean, has the Supreme Court ever been a non-political entity? No, no. The justices are not. They're, they're just, as Eric Siegel has said forever, my favorite constitutional law scholars, judges are not justices. The Supreme Court is just politicians and roads. It's always been that way. Your question was, what's at stake? And I think this is the most important Supreme Court decision maybe of our lifetime. It's similar to uh, Gore-Bush. I mean, they may be deciding whether or not Donald Trump can be president. So I would, I would say, and I've heard from a lot of con law scholars when they look at these cases all the time, this is one of the most consequential decisions the Supreme Court will ever make, whether or not Donald Trump can be on the ballot. What I don't really understand about that that motivation of making a political decision, even if Donald Trump did appoint them, in a fascist society, an, an, under an autocratic government, they would be marginalizing right, themselves. Right. So what I don't really understand, and they haven't completely ruled in every single case as horribly as I would have expected. Yeah, so my small glimmer of optimism is that they can at least look out for their own self-interest and know, right, like, should kick in, yeah. you would think, and maybe they won't, maybe they'll even just let Colorado's ruling stand, and then maybe they won't or rule against a, a different one. All right, so. well, let's talk about, though, President Biden's speech today. Eddie, I know you actually met with the president earlier this week. He made it clear. He stood on the podium, he looked at the American people, and he said, Donald Trump is a threat to our democracy. Yeah, and then he made, and then he asked, a, I think, a very important question. Is American democracy still the sacred cause of this nation? Are we still committed to it? The question is, Donald Trump is who he is. We know who he is. He's a grifter. He's a 
He's a he's an expert level grifter. Mm-hmm. To use a D and D And why would we not 
if I were President Biden, I would try, be trying to make the argument that a multicultural democracy does not mean that you are losing your country. It means that more of us have a role in this country. And that's a good thing. I think that is a, a message that resonates with a lot of Okay, I finally found what boosts my metabolism, and it's not crazy workouts or fad diets. The real secret. Our nightcap crew is still with us, and it is my favorite part of the show. You know, it was a very, very busy 2024, but I want to know who was the most valuable player. It doesn't have to be a good guy or a bad guy, but who had the biggest week? I turn to you first, Peter. Oh, me first. Okay. Well, it was actually. Been- you're going to be lost. <laughs> <laughs> I, I known it didn't have to be a good guy, I would have maybe chosen differently, but I had chosen a liberal activist named Gene Stilp, who has brought a lawsuit against Representative Scott Perry in Pennsylvania on the grounds of the 14th Amendment that he should be disqualified from running for federal office. And I think if we're looking at this for the president, the 14th Amendment all includes all federal elected officials, including House of Representatives members. And I think that there are quite a few of those who have who are within documents of having aided the insurrection. And some and I think that that is a, going to be a very interesting court test to watch to see how they apply those laws and how many more of these come up. All right, you can be numbered. Okay, fine. <laughs> I'm going with Virginia Dufre, which is a name oh. that, that, that a lot of people probably don't know, but she is quite possibly the most prominent Jeffrey Epstein accuser. And this week, because of the lawsuit that she has persisted with uh, against uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, who was the enabler of Jeffrey Maxwell. Uh, sitting in jail. Sitting in jail. Um, another ring of, of documents were unsealed to remind us all of the people who were uh, with Jeffrey Epstein, despite the fact he'd been convicted uh and everyone loves to say, oh, my God, it's Republicans. Oh, my God, it's Democrats. No, no, no. They're all in there. And then, the reason this is important, I think, gets back to a conversation we are having before, which is there is not the elite movement had this moment. And I think much like the DUI movement, Black Lives Matter, you see the doctor period backlash. It hasn't gotten, you know, a lot of men were, were rightfully were, were dethroned, but a lot of them weren't. Um, and I think sometimes we look back in history and we think things work in straight lines, right? We had, uh, you know, problems for education. We had the Allen, the Montgomery bus boycott, and then a straight line for the Civil Rights Act, right? It doesn't work that way. It works in 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 bursts. And what I think the phrase is good to remember is she. I see a new baby.